this is True Crime Exposed, and I'm your host, Kayla Waters. Each week, I'm joined by our co-host, Alicia Jenkins, while I share with you a new deep dive into another case. By sharing a victim's story, we hope to put the pressure on you so that you can get involved and help make a difference. We present this show to expose the monsters lurking all around us. Sorry about my voice. It is so horrific to listen to. I'm sure I've been a very sick and we put off recording as long as we could, but I couldn't make you wait any longer. This is about as good as my voice is getting this week, I think. So you'll just have to power through it or skip this episode. Before we dive into the case today, I wanted to thank you guys for um, all of you who showed up at the rally for David Scott Elm- Elmquist over in Minnesota, that was really cool. David's dad said that he was able to meet one of our listeners, and I just really appreciate you showing up. That's amazing. It's incredible. I love you for it. So thank you for getting involved and doing what you can to help other people fight for justice. Um, and then for today's episode, I decided to, you know, go along more with Halloween type case and cover some witch trials. We forget that these are real people. So in honor of spooky season, are you ready for today's case? So as you guys can probably hear, our voices do not sound great today. Kayla came down and got me sick. Literally, my kids got everybody sick. They got her sick, and then I got sick. And yeah, we put off recording for a few days, but I couldn't make you guys wait any longer. I think this is the best my voice is getting this week. It was completely gone 100%. So, you know, I'm sorry. And my voice just sounds weird. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, like when you're recovering from throat sickness. But yeah, oh well. If you, you know, cannot stand to bear our raspy voices in your ears, we are not offended if you have to skip this episode. But I am excited to talk to you guys today because we are getting into, you know, more spooky type stuff for Halloween. So I decided I wanted to cover a witch trial. The Salem witch trials are so infamous that I thought we could discuss a lesser known witch trial. So while I was researching, I come across the Valais witch trials in Switzerland. These are some of the first documented witch trials in history, but the documentation is poor and there isn't much information. That leads my research into the impact that the Valais trials have on the spread of the witch hunt phenomenon across Europe. So we're going to talk about Valet and then touch on a few other witch trials that come later. I'm going to start off kind of explaining the scene, setting the scene, just of what year we're in, how long ago this is, kind of what the landscape and community is like at this time, and then we'll dive into everything. That will just give you a good idea of, obviously, the setting. (laughs) 
I know, I was thinking, oh, I wonder what year this was. Yeah, we are going way back to the 14th century. Clear back. Last year, didn't we do that haunted house? Yeah, we did the Velisca Axe murder house. Where? With all those mur- murders? Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the witch trials start out in the French-speaking area of Southern Valais. According to a quick Google search, the official languages of Switzerland are French, German, Italian, and Romance. So, there is this diversity in language depending on what area someone lives in. I am not familiar with these languages, so I will likely get a lot of the pronunciation wrong in today's episode, but I did try to look up and listen to the correct pronunciation. I wrote it down like in parentheses how I'm supposed to say it, so I'm hoping I'll be a little bit close. And then as far as describing some of the politics and groups in this episode, I'm doing my best because I don't have a true knowledge of how Switzerland operates. So I tried to research search, you know, a little bit of background on each of these groups I came across and whatnot. So, you know, hopefully I do it right, at least in the tiniest of ways. It seems that back during the time these witch trials start around 1430, this region was ran by the House of Savoy, which is a royal dynasty established in 1003. Alongside the House of Savoy is the Roman Catholic Diocese of Sion. This is the oldest religious institution established in Switzerland. This institution held some weight with the House of Savoy in ruling the region. At this time in history, they were also very intertwined with the Abbey of St. Maurice of Valais, and that's a Swiss monastery, which to my understanding, a monastery is basically a building that has domestic living areas for monks or nuns. And I just, again, wanted to set the scene of who had power in the area during this time, because as you'll see, witch hunts really come down to religious and political control. I was going to say, wasn't it uh, religious? Yeah. A religious Mm -hmm. church slash living area. Yeah, this area is like heavily Christian and that is like the most common belief and going against that at this time in history was just very frowned upon and as we'll see, pretty much illegal. So the churches had originally tried to push out what they call heresy, which is pretty much having any other belief or opinion that does not align with the orthodox religious doctrine, like I just told you, happen to be mainly Christian beliefs. And the victims targeted in these cases were oftentimes men who would not comply with local religious or political authorities. That's how it started out. And then we'll see that shift move more towards um, the victims being targeted as being women. So by the time the 16th and 17th centuries are underway, politicians have taken over witch hunting. They use the fear of being persecuted for witchcraft to assert authority with social discipline to regulate law and advance their power over the community. So it's here 1428 that the area of Valais starts a series of trials known as one of the first documented events where alleged sorcerers are arrested, prosecuted, and executed. The trials last about six to eight years, and then the witch hunts spread over to Upper Valais, and this community is more German-speaking, and then the spread moves up to the valleys and the Western Alps, and so on. The tragic phenomenon spreads to Freiburg, 
Hamburg, which is located on the Swiss Plateau, and then over to the city of Nucatel, which is the capital of the Swiss canton, Nucatel. And a Swiss canton is basically what we refer to as a state here in America. It was also said that Switzerland is a small country, so it could be divided into three areas, the Alps, the Central Plateau, and the Jura. And I have always wanted to go to the Alps. That's like one of my dream vacays. Yeah, that would be amazing. Like probably so gorgeous. Never been over there. No. We've never even been to Europe. But anywhere. Didn't you go to Amsterdam? Well, yes, <laughs> I have. <laughs> so you well, have been to Europe. Yeah. Ish. Where is that? I haven't been to anywhere like <laughs> I guess I have. Where is Amsterdam? Amsterdam, Utrecht. Okay, I have no idea where where that is, but you basically haven't been any of like the main places in Europe that is like a tourist attraction, like Rome or Paris or Italy or, yeah. So this is the area of Valais and the surrounding areas, and the best record of the Valais witch trials was documented by a Swiss clerk. I keep saying clerked every time I say this. Like, I've tried to re-record this part many times. I keep saying clerked. It is a Swiss clerk named Johannes Frund. He had started documenting his view of the witch trials about a year and a half into the hunt, and he states that by this time, over 100 victims had been burned at the stake. It's not long after this that he increases the number to 200 people, writing, quote, more witches are being convicted and burned every day. So there is mass execution happening. In total, we know about 370 victims were executed in the Valais witch trials, and the spread throughout the French-speaking area of Switzerland would cost around 3,500 lives of accused witches. Were they really witches? Um, like, did they just have different beliefs than the Christianity? Yes, absolutely. That's what always confuses me. Yeah. I, as you'll see when we go through this, the things the alleged witches are accused of doing are absolutely impossible. So, no, they're not witches in the sense that their community thought they were, but they might have been people who were just you know, doing their own thing, using herbs, being more natural, had some, you know, like what we would think of as witchy vibes today, but like totally innocent, doing good things. They aren't cursing people. They're not killing cattle. Like you'll see it's a bit crazy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's like so insane. It's hard to wrap your mind around. It would have been very interesting to live back in that time. It would have been terrifying. Except I might have been considered a witch. Probably. <laughs> I, I know I would be. Like, I can't even comprehend when people, like, got stoned to death. Or, like, hung. I mean, like, Christ, like, got hung on a cross. Like, it's just hard to imagine because we, our society's not like that now. No, those punishments are, like so crazy it's like the like in roman times when they make people like fight each other to the death and people would watch and love it it's like wow i'm glad we live in this time me too <laughs> definitely so let's get into the alleged witches of valet 
It's August 7th, 1428, when authorities in the district of Luke are contacted by the public, demanding there be an investigation into the alleged witches and sorcerers of the area. Luke is located in the canton of Valais, Switzerland. So people are basically like, hey, we've got dying cattle, we have frost killing our crops, there's disease being spread, someone needs to take accountability for this. Accused witches are often referred to as the scapegoats of the time. People needed someone to blame for their losses or misfortune. And the idea of witches freaked people the hell out. Like, witches were super problematic in their minds. They're terrified. The public's just going wild. So with this demand from the public, authorities write up a document which requires that three or four neighbors must be publicly slandering someone for there to be enough evidence of witchcraft. If three to four people were accusing another, this would be sufficient grounds for an arrest and imprisonment. It also suggests that it doesn't matter if the rumors are towards someone of nobility, although the most common victims of the witch hunt were peasants. It was just interesting, which is, I didn't know they could control Mother Nature. <laughs> Me either. Who knew? Cause, cause frost. Kill cattle. <laughs> killing the crops. Yeah. Like, who knew? I did not know people could do that with magic. It's ridiculous, and so is this document, because it goes on to explain that using torture on the accused is reserved only for those who have been, quote, slandered by five, six, or seven or more persons, up to the number of ten who were qualified to do so and not under suspicion themselves. But wait, there is a way those accused by only three or four people can be tortured, just as the just as long as they had been tried and sentenced to death for their witchcraft. Once that happens, all bets are off. The torture can ensue. I mean, you'd really have to be likable and mm -hmm. try to be a good neighbor. You're like working your booty off to be the best person you can be and just like kiss <laughs> everyone's butts. Oh, yeah. And it's sad because think of how easily rumors are spread. Think back to high school, like to get three or four people to start talking crap on somebody about them being a witch. How easy? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So easy. It's just the gossip that would go around. Yeah. Gossip spreads like wildfire, whether it's true or not. So, uh, yeah, it would have been extremely easy to get innocent people while everyone was innocent like arrested for this. If someone dislikes you, they might just be a shitty enough person to claim you're a witch. Johannes Freund writes about the crimes these witches were suspected of committing, and we've already talked about hearsay, basically believing in anything other than the common Christian beliefs around town. And on top of this, the victims of the valet trials are accused of murder, sorcery in different forms, and being under contract with the devil. These people were thought to have traded their souls for favors from Lucifer himself. He would grant them endless youth, knowledge that no one else could have, and he would even promise they would obtain fame and wealth and power. So as far as murder goes, the accused witches were suspected of killing and eating their own children. 
which is a bit strange since there would have had to be like evidence of multiple missing children or murdered children. If that was the case, I mean, it's horrifying. But with hindsight, we can see that witches were most likely not the reason for any missing or murdered kids. Yeah, it's like, well, if they did, then yes, torture them. Uh, Yeah, like, absolutely. Bye. I always tell Shannon, like, oh, I would have loved to live in that time. Oh, but that's mm -hmm. also the time where people are like getting their heads chopped off if they, you know, committed adultery or. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So basically you like the aesthetic of you know, those days back in the day, but you don't actually, it would not, act, we know it would not actually have been fun to be back there because you'd always be scared of these like horrific deaths. So with the Valet Witch Trial, a pretty equal amount of men were executed compared to women. As the centuries go on, this stat starts to skew more towards women. And by the 16th and 17th centuries, executed witches are 70 to 80 percent women. Historian Catherine Oostremp told SwissInfo.ch, that's when the witch hunts really began. So what are these men and women in Valet being accused of? The rumors run rampant, and if you dared to cross anyone in your town, you were likely to be talked about. So the accused are also thought to have been able to take on the shapes of different animals. So they take on the shape of a werewolf and then slaughter the cattle residing on local farms. Now, what kind of sorcery was thought to have been going on here? Well, everyone around town knew that witches applied a magic solve to their chairs, which they could then use to fly up into the sky and around town real quick. They could also, you know, do all these things a non-witch person could do, like using herbs for various things like making themselves invisible or curing sickness like blindness, madness, miscarriage, and infertility, which like that sounds pretty beneficial, you know, if the witches are really curing things like blindness and fertility and mental health why not have them continue to do their thing <laughs> exactly but no like witches no. are too scary i guess but i mean if they can make themselves invisible i mean that's pretty cool that's a different story And apparently, this is not the only thing alleged witches used herbs for. People were floored to learn that witches cured things like impotence and lameness. So witches are giving men their boners back, and as far as lameness goes, it seems that this refers to anyone who is crippled due to injury or birth defect. Again, not sure what's so scary about this, because if that's actually possible, (laughs) would have been pretty incredible. I think a lot of people would have been thankful. For sure. You think they'd be the most popular people. So let's move on to the witch's contract with the devil. It was often believed that these contracts would contain an agreement for the witches to have sexual relations with the devil or a demon in collusion with the devil. So, all right, who knew humans could be out here having sex with the devil? I mean, I guess it's a scary thought, but it was clearly not happening. So hard to wrap my mind around how people even thought these insane accusations up, but Back then, superstition was very present. With their devilish contract, the witches were believed to hold a witch's Sabbath where they would break into local residents' wine cellars and they would just chug all the wine while listening to anti-Christian sermons given by the devil himself, who of course always asked them to actively avoid attending any holy mass or confession. 
And what if the witches did a good deed that week? Well, you know, the devil would like make fun of them. Like, wow, I can't believe you would be nice to someone. You're weak. I guess the devil's a bully. Oh, and he always appeared to the witches in the form of a black animal, something like a bear. And all of these accusations are so ridiculous, right? But if all the accusations are false, then why did so many people in Valais confess to the crimes of a witch? Well, let's say you were strung up by your wrists that are tied behind your back. Or maybe you're strapped into this device that slowly stretches out your body to the point that your muscles start ripping, your tendons are dislodging. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you would also confess because this is how the accused witches were tortured into their confessions. Oh, ow. It hurts, like makes your legs tingle oh, yeah. to think about. <laughs> yep. Yep, I'm me too. But then what's going to happen to them once they confess? They will be killed. Yeah. They just get killed? Yeah. So either way. Instead of tortured? Yeah. But basically, the torture would oftentimes lead to their death anyway. So they can be tortured to death or they can confess and be executed. It was not looking good for anybody here. Oh, yeah. Just admit it and then just get killed fast. Yeah. I would definitely be (laughs) cracking real quick. I've got a low... No, you you couldn't handle that. No, I've got a low pain tolerance. <laughs> I always go when I go into labor. <laughs> like, I always go yes. into the hospital very quickly with my second baby. I went in at just, you know, dilated at a one. At like a zero <laughs> dilated. Which for those of you who know, like, you're not very far. You are, you could be home for a lot longer, but they kept me. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so this is, like, absolutely horrific to think about. But then the public, the public would go watch it. How do you go watch someone get tortured? I know. That's also hard for me to, like, wrap my mind around because it's like, well, geez, is the entire community, like, evil? Like, it can't be that, but yeah, no. it's just they're so indoctrinated to think that this is appropriate and acceptable and, like these people should be killed that they probably don't even think they're in the wrong everyone probably thinks the right thing is happening yeah i even hate watching mma fights because <laughs> i feel bad i do too actually <laughs> for the person getting beat up i whoever is losing <laughs> my heart just hurts for because i'm like uh, ow like yeah so it's I feel like I just could not watch the torture. No. Did people not like have a shred of empathy back then? I don't know. So basically, if you're accused of being a witch, you can either get tortured to death or most likely get, you know, confess and be executed. Either way, being accused of sorcery was usually a death sentence. And there was this other super bright idea. The courts thought, you know what? We've got the perfect way to find out if someone is a true witch or not. We will tie them up. We'll throw them into a lake. And if they're able to break free and swim to the surface and survive, clearly they had witchcraft on their side to make that escape. So then they would be tried, convicted, and executed. But the accused was deemed innocent if they could not escape and instead drowned. Like... What kind of logic is this? Oh, my gosh. Either way, you're dead. Exactly. Because if you escape, you're a witch. Yeah. 
So you can drown or you can survive and then be burned alive. Oh my gosh. It's like, they're like, oh, sorry. Like, I look, they drowned. Like, they're, they're innocent. Oh, I guess, you know, at least they're going to heaven. We'll see you up there. Ugh. Like, no, 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 no. This is not how things work. So either way, once you get accused, you're pretty much screwed. Yeah, absolutely. And the cycle was just endless because some witches would try to save themselves by accusing other innocent people. Just goes round and round. So Johannes wrote, quote, And no matter how severely they were questioned during more and more torture, many would not confess but let themselves be tortured. So they died from it and were all the same judged and burned, some alive and some dead. Once an alleged witch was tried and convicted of sorcery, they would be executed. These executions were their own form of torture. It's said that someone would have been lucky to be decapitated or suffer death due to the torture before their burning at the stake. Because usually the victim was tied to a ladder with a bag of gunpowder strung around their neck. The executioners thought of themselves being quite compassionate to tie the gunpowder to the victim's neck because it would help their death to be quicker. But I don't think any of these people are overflowing in empathy. As the victim was tied to the ladder, a large fire was started. The ladder would be tipped onto the stake that was up in flames, and they were placed into this fire alive and burned to their death. So I think we can all agree that the Valet witch trials were brutal, as well as each and every witch hunt that goes down afterward. It was the witch trials in Valet along with the Council of Basel that would influence the widespread witch hunts across Europe. The Council of Basel was a council of the Catholic Church that ran from 1431 to 1437, so about the same time that the Valet witch trials are going on. It was composed of a group of theologians who would get together and discuss new phenomenons of sorcery and the evidence that proved witchcraft. The group gathers up all the court proceedings from Valais and the surrounding regions, and they come up with a game plan on how to proceed. It's also during this same era that the book for Mercius is published. I'm not going to do great on the book names, I'll tell you that right now. For Macarius. The book focuses on the dark arts and info about these ideas are documented for the first time when the book is written in 1436. And a couple of centuries later, in the midst of the witch trial phenomenon, the book Malleus Malifericum is published in 1686. This was the ultimate witch hunting book and gives readers a strong idea that witches are usually female, playing a role in the way witch trials will lean towards female offenders, although the book states there were still some males that could be practicing sorcery. Witch hunters across Europe referred to this book to hone in their skills and become the best witch hunter they could be. But I'm sorry to let you guys know, witch hunters... You guys weren't that cool and you were not doing good work like you thought you were. So things spread from Valais. By 1429, Freiburg becomes the third place in Europe to haunt witches and the fire just keeps spreading until everyone is consumed with this fear of sorcery. 
I've found a few specific witch trials that spread throughout these couple of centuries, and I wanted to share what these real people went through. Again, I think we can forget that witch trials happen to humans just like me and you. These things may have been done hundreds of years ago, but it does not make the trials any less tragic. It's just sick that these occurred back then. Ultimately, the witch hunts start to lean towards targeting people who were both single and elderly. Women would become the main focus, although as we heard in Valet, it was equal among men and women. Now, here are the ways to spot a witch according to the courts way back in the day. Usually, they could examine an accused witch's body and find what they thought of as a witch's mark. These would be things like moles, maybe an age spot or a birthmark. So literally things that people could not control having. Like I just said, they started targeting more elderly people. And one of the things they're looking for is age marks, which I'm sure like everyone starts getting. And back then, I'm sure there weren't all these ways to combat them. Yeah. Willow has a birthmark. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. She would be deemed a witch straight out of birth. She's got a (laughs) huge, like super huge, dark, dark birthmark on the back of her leg. So they'd be like, she's done. She was born a witch. Nope, get her out of here. So literally, it's things that people can't even control having, like a mole or a birthmark. But this reassures the accusers that this person has the devil's mark. And it was from this mark that the witch's personal demon would suckle from her body. At least that's what everybody thought. These demons would be disguised as the alleged witch's pet, like their cat or their dog. So people are straight up believing that these cats and dogs are suckling the witch's body from their birthmarks and moles. I don't know what they think they're suckling. Blood, their soul, probably their soul. I don't know, but it's weird. One more way to spot a witch is to prick them with pins, and if they don't bleed, then voila, they're a witch. This was a sure way to catch these scary people, although it was pretty unfair seeing as many experts performing this test would use retractable pins to ensure the accused is seen as a witch. So... (laughs) Author Rolf Scholl wrote the book Man as a Witch, and in his chapter, The Trial of Peter Kleikamp, he discusses the arrest and conviction of an accused witch. It was February of 1615 that a judge orders Peter's arrest, but it's not for witchcraft. He is actually arrested for theft and sodomy. Not good. But Peter is like, no, no, I did not do these things. Yet witnesses are coming forward, but they're telling the courts that the reason they think Peter should be arrested is because he was hanging around some sketchy people in town. And the judge is like, you know what? Okay, we have no evidence of the other charges, but you say he's hanging out with a suspicious resident. That's it. That is enough to change this charge to witchcraft. Prosecutors then decide that the best option to retrieve a confession will be to torture Peter. So he's taken to the local executioner who uses various instruments to literally crush the limbs of Peter, both his arms and his legs. He simply cannot withstand the pain, so he blurts out a confession, 
All right, it's true. I'm a witch and I can turn myself into a werewolf as well. I denounce God. I love the devil. When I decided to be done with God, the devil come like came to me in the form of a black dog and he made me all these promises. He would feed me. He would allow me to poison cattle with herbs. As a werewolf, I have literally slaughtered herds of sheep. And the worst part is that I did have sex with many, many times with a woman demon. Poor Peter would have said anything they told him just to have his torture ended. Once his arms and legs were crushed, death sounded like a pleasant option. And you can see his confession goes directly in line with what people believed witches did. Yeah. And that's how all the confessions are. They all confess to the same things because this is what the community thought witches did. Obviously, false confessions. They knew what to say. Absolutely. So, Peter ultimately claims there is a crew of witches in town. Four men and three women. All of them can fly. All they had to do was rub this magic lotion all over their body first. And he also says that it is his deceived wife, Sandera, who had introduced him to the dark underworld. He had been practicing witchcraft now for 16 years. Again, all of this is BS, but Peter is deemed by the court to be a devil follower, and his group is believed to be on a mission to undermine that holy Christian religion widely accepted at this time in the area. Even though stories are not adding up, people that Peter claimed to be victims of his witchcraft were found to not even have the cattle he claimed to slaughter, or the ones who did couldn't remember their animals being harmed. But of course, the courts turn a blind eye, they convict Peter, and he is burnt at the stake in front of his peers on July 13th, 1615. Now, jump back 17 years, and we come to the year 1598. It's a little more than a century after the Valet Trials. There's an eight-year-old girl named Louise Maylat, and she starts freaking her family out real bad. The little girl starts crawling around. Her face is twisting in an unnatural way before her body becomes completely stiff. They think she's paralyzed. Terror rushes through her parents' bodies. Of course, I mean, this would be an absolutely terrifying thing to watch your child go through. So immediately, they reach out to a Catholic priest in the nearby town of St. Claude. And he's like, oh yeah, your child was cursed by a witch for sure. I'll save her. Let's perform an exorcism. So the very next day, everyone comes together at the monastery of St. Claude. Louise's parents had stayed awake the entire night praying for their daughter to recover. And soon enough, an exorcism is performed. And the priest declares that all the demons filed in a row right, after, right out of Louise's body. She apparently makes a full recovery. So was she really paralyzed in the first place or could this have been some sort of temporary illness? Sometimes I wonder if people back then like had seizures. Oh, oh, yeah. You know, because they twist and move. Mm. I like didn't even think of that, but that makes so much sense. And and they thought it was demons. Okay, yeah, I totally more think that is what probably happened now the reason i was thinking maybe she could have faked it is because it seemed really suspicious that while she was quote-unquote paralyzed she was mumbling about this woman named francoise being the witch that cursed her and then regardless of 
Louise's full recovery, Francoise is still arrested and thrown into a dungeon. So, Francoise was a 58-year-old woman who had asked the Malotte family if she could stay in their home for the night. Louise's mom reluctantly agreed, and this all happened just days before Louise fell ill. It was thought that Francoise had cursed Louise to make her ill, and that when the family catches on to her scheme and accuses her, everyone in town thinks she reaches out to a man named Jacques Bouquet, and he was someone everyone was already side-eyeing. The judge in his case referred to Jacques as, quote, one of the great male witches. It was rumored that he tells Francoise to sneak bread from the Malotte's home and then keep it for three days and then return it and try to, you know, get Louise to eat it by sneaking it into her food. He says that when Louise did this, the, you know, her illness would be healed. And these rumors are how Francoise ends up in a dungeon accused of witchcraft. She's stripped naked and her body is scoured for the witch's mark. She's had enough by day three, so she confesses to the crime of sorcery. She says, okay, fine, I did have sex with the devil. He appeared to me as a black man and I was too tempted. I was just thinking that devil is busy. (laughs) Keeps having sex with a whole bunch of people. Yeah, he's just, he's getting around. He's doing his thing. He's having fun. Obviously, we know these confessions were false. These people are literally tortured into saying they did these things. Francoise only confessed after three days in the dungeon and immediately after they shaved her hair off. Soon, Jacques is arrested as well. He's thrown into a dungeon and, of course, searched for the witch's mark. He was thought to be a werewolf, a shapeshifter. There is no witch's mark on his body, but there is a rosary on him and it's broken. That's enough for authorities to believe he is practicing sorcery. He ends up being forced into a confession where he's like, okay, I guess my spirit could have attended a witch's Sabbath while I remained at home. So after being literally accused of something they could not have done, aka put a spell on a little girl's food to paralyze her and kill cows with magic powder, they are forced via isolation and torture to confess to these insane claims and they are both executed. They were the first in their town and their execution sparked more claims. 19 people would become targets in the witch hunt following the deaths of Jacques and Francoise. Only two make it out alive. 17 people are executed. The witch hunts were brutal. Once someone was targeted, it was hard to escape the rumors that ensured your death. The desperation can be heard in the quote from one man, Peter Goldbrick. He was arrested for sorcery in November of 1652. And he said, quote, but I only gave my horses a potion that you can buy from the apothecary. So you can literally see he was just doing something normal and he's like I only did this very normal thing like why are you saying I'm a witch it would have been like it would have consumed you with fear yeah probably some medicine or something exactly 
So all of this brings us to one of the last executions of an alleged witch in Europe. This is Anna Goldie. She is often referred to as the last witch. Anna was born on October 24, 1734, and executed at the age of 47 on June 13, 1782. Anna was the fourth of eight kids, big family, but they didn't have a lot of money to go around, which is totally fine, but people were big time judgy in the 17th century. I mean, they still are, but I think it might have been worse then, you know. She was just the classic target. Anna comes from a poor family, she's female, she's over 40 years old, and she had conceived an illegitimate child with a mercenary, so she has a kid with someone she is not married to you had an illegitimate child and that's me wow she was busy <laughs> so you would have been like targeted as witch because i'm your illegitimate child oh i was like wait what <laughs> yep because she had this kid with somebody that she was not married to yeah but had she already had had she already had eight? Oh, no, 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 no. Anna is the fourth of eight kids, so she has a bunch of siblings. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. I was thinking she had yeah, eight yeah, kids. Yeah. No, her mom had all eight kids. Yeah, yeah, no. This is hers. Oh, yeah, see? I would have been a witch. And then I probably would have just been deemed one on site, too, for being born into that. So I did look up the term for mercenary, and it seems that... It is someone who was once a soldier that is now being hired for like more private soldiery things. I don't know. The explanation was pretty confusing. I'm probably butchering that, but something to do with a soldier. And this mercenary who Anna was pregnant with leaves Switzerland before the baby is ever born. And when the baby is born, it dies the same night as an infant, which is absolutely heartbreaking, and I'm sure it's a pain Anna never recovered from. But instead of letting her grieve, she is accused of murder and put onto house arrest for six years, which is a bit wild because infant mortality rates back then, you know, were super high compared to now. So I'm not sure what really led them to think, you know, she was a murderer. But after a bit, she's sick of the stairs around town and the control she's under, so she escapes, running to Molis in the canton of Glarus in Switzerland. While she's there, Anna has a son with Johann Melker Zwicky, and he was actually her boss, so this is another illegitimate child, and, you know, the couple's not married, and then Anna needs to move on. She can't really work there anymore so she moves on to another job as a housemaid for a wealthy local family the man of the house is a politician and he is also a skis ball jacob chudy liked having anna in the home or so it's rumored because it's believed that anna and her boss start to have an affair did you say skis ball <laughs> um yes <laughs> i haven't heard that one for a while uh, a skis ball <laughs> <laughs> like sleazy like sleazy yeah just a mix of like so a sleazy guy you just changed it to skeezy and then skis ball words to describe a crappy person <laughs> uh. <laughs> okay. yeah skeezy it is the <laughs> word that came to my mind when i read about him that's just all i could think of him as a skeezy skis ball uh. Oh, and he gets worse. Worse than a skis ball. 
Yes. Worse than a skis ball? Worse than just okay. a basic basic ski skis ball. <laughs> so at some point, Anna leaves this job, but things must not have ended on a civil note because Anna threatens her ex-employer with the information she has. She wants to reveal the affair. But instead of just taking the hit and suffering the consequences of his literal own actions, he decides to get rid of Anna. And what better way to do that than for skeezy McGeezy <laughs> to accuse her of witchcraft? <laughs> so... This bad dude, he is able to con his two daughters into backing up his claims and then the three of them come forward, him and his two daughters. And they say Anna was feeding the family pins. One daughter says she found needles in her milk and the other daughter is like, yeah, I literally threw up one day and all this stuff came out that was metallic material. Anna is like, whatever. Once she's accused, she's over it. So she is a bad A and she escapes yet again. This is her second escape in her lifetime, but there's a reward put out for her capture. It's published in the newspaper on February 9th, 1782. So soon she is captured. As the pattern goes, Anna confessed to witchcraft while she is being tortured. She described the devil as a black dog that appeared to her and says she was, in fact, in a contract with him. Once the torture ends, though, she is like, no, 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 no. I take back that. Like, I was literally just saying what I needed to do so that I could end my torture. But now the courts do not believe her. Anna's charges were officially for poisoning, although by law, someone would not be put to death for a non-lethal poisoning. Now, her charges had to be for poisoning because at this time, they're starting to back off charging for witchcraft. But you can see this is clearly still a witch hunt. Like, yeah, coming from all the, you know, centuries of hunting witches and instead of charging her for witchcraft, they're like, mm, we'll just charge you for poison. Yeah, they'd make up other reasons. Yeah, exactly. So it's clearly a targeted witch hunt. And then when Anna is convicted, she is sentenced to death by decapitation. Oh. So the execution happens, but it doesn't sit well with the public. And this is probably why the execution of alleged witches dies out in Europe following this. People are pissed. This was clearly a woman that was slandered and destroyed by a man who took advantage of her. Anna's murder was seen as a judicial murder, meaning the murder of an innocent, like deliberately with all the pop of holy justice. It's 2007 when the Swiss parliament comes forward to say they believe Anna's case was a miscarriage of justice. Fritz Scheiser wants Anna exonerated. He is a representative for the canton of Glarus in 2007. So 226 years after the murder of Anna Goldie via execution, she is exonerated on the grounds of an illegal trial on August 27, 2008. There was a memorial built for Anna in Glarus in 2014. It's two permanently lit lamps on the side of the courthouse, bringing in attention to the many violations of human rights that have existed before and still continue in our world today. A plaque reads, quote, The memorial is an expression of atonement for the injustice that took place here. It will be an eternal light for Anna Goldie. 
And that is just scratching the surface on some of the many witch trials across Europe. I'll also have to do some from here in America, including Salem one day, but this was very interesting for me to look into the history of it all, and it's devastating. So remember these victims' names, and remember, they were real people. And today we are going to be talking about skeletons, because it's Halloween month. Did you know babies are born with 300 bones, and adults have only have 206 bones? So how does that work? As we grow older, these bones fuse together to make larger bones so the people can get bigger. Do you know where the smallest bone in the body is? A bone in your inner ear called the steeps. So it hits the eardrum and then goes to the steeps. It's also called the stirrup because of the wise shape. Bye. Have a great day. I'm in my pajamas.